It's been to be here today. Uh, I want to introduce to you another uh, couple that are ambassador graduates. The Brubakers, would you stand? Here's uh, David and Amy and their two children. Uh, Amy is a harpist, the only one that we have had in 31 years. And I'll tell you, she can play that harp. Uh, I wish you had one so she could play a special tonight. But I want you to pray for these folks. They're uh, just a few months in deputation. They have 12% of their deputation goal met thus far. And uh, you know that uh, it's expensive to be on the road and have a minimal amount of income. And so I hope you'll put this couple on your prayer list. They're going to Seattle, Washington uh, to start a church. And what a need in Seattle. That is totally a liberal state if you know anything about it. So put these folks on your prayer list and uh, let them know how glad you are that they're here. Uh, Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 18 as you're turning Let me mention the items again on the table. There are three of the books I've written. I mentioned this morning about uh, the last chapter in the book on prophecy on heaven. Several years ago, Pastor, I had a book that I had written on heaven, 45, 50 pages. And a lady from California wrote me. This was 35, 40 years ago. And she said, Brother Comfort, I was experiencing a life-threatening operation. And the night before the operation, somebody gave me her book on heaven, and she said, I read it through. I was somewhat disappointed that I survived the operation. I was looking forward to going to heaven. But that's worth the price of the book. Uh, A lot of uh, prophetic things are dealt with in this. Uh, Your Sunday school lesson had a lot of prophecy in it this morning. And uh, that's what this book is all about, 11 chapters. And then my autobiography, 81 years on planet Earth and uh, 58 years on the road in evangelism. You know, I had preached in every state in America and 35 foreign countries with the exception of Louisiana. And uh, last summer, I preached in Louisiana, so I'm ready to go home to glory now. (laughs) Any of you from Louisiana? All right. Uh, And then here's a book every young person ought to read. I see a lot of gray hair and a lot of no hair. Uh, Your grandchildren need to read this book. Four crises of you, four questions every young person has to answer which will determine the rest of his life. And then, of course, there's the flash drive with eight of the most requested messages that I preach, plus my life story that was dramatized and unshackled. Uh, Let's stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. Brother, thank you for that update on what's going on in the legislature. Uh, I don't know of any church that does that. That's unique in this church, and that is very, very beneficial to you to know what's going on. And thank God for Christian people who have an influence like that. By the way, have you read the book, The Faith of Mike Pence? 
tremendous book. Uh, I read it, and my wife read it. And, uh, you know, President Trump said every time he gets around Mike Pence, it winds up in a prayer meeting. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful to have somebody in the vice? And I'll tell you what, he is a real influence on what is going on in Washington. There are a number of Bible studies going on in various places in uh, Washington, and Mike Pence is largely responsible for that. All right, Matthew 18 and verse 15. I want us to read this all together. Matthew 18 and verse 15, let's read it all together. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Thank you very much. You may be seated. What I'm going to give you tonight, if the average person in our fundamental Baptist churches gets a hold of this simple principle... It will save the pastor about 75% or more of the counseling that he has to do. Now, Matthew 18 deals with several spiritual principles. First of all, in verses 3 through 5, it talks about coming to Christ with simple childlike faith. Now, we've got it mixed up. We think that a child has to become adult-like in order to be saved. No, the opposite is true. Uh, an adult has to become childlike. You come with simple childlike faith and you're born again. Now you go down to verse 6 and he says, Woe unto that person that casts a stumbling block before one of these little ones. Better for him that a millstone were hanged around his neck and he were cast into the depths of the sea. Hey, I wonder if that could not apply to the abortion crowd. Better for that crowd that a millstone were tied around their neck and they were cast into the depths of the sea. Then you come down to verse 7 and he talks about offenses from the world. And ladies and gentlemen, we can expect that. Second Timothy 3 and verse 12, All they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I tell our preacher boys this, if there is something about my mannerisms or my personality that is offensive, I ought to do something about that. But if there's something offensive about the message that I preach, I can't do one thing about that. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish what? Foolishness. You know what that word is? It's the same word from which we get the word moron. Maria, moron. So this message that we preach is going to be moronic, insipid, dull, tasteless to an unsaved world. 1 Corinthians one twenty three and 24, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness. But unto us which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So this message is offensive to an unsaved world. Now listen carefully. You've got to make up your mind whose friend do you want to be. James 4 and verse 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that the friendship of the world 
is enmity against God. Whosoever therefore shall be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Galatians 1 and verse 10, For do I now persuade men or God? For if I yet seek to please man, I should not be the servant of Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, 66 years ago, last November, as a 15-year-old boy, I made up my mind that I was going to be a friend of God and not a friend of the world. Now, you go down to verses 21 and 22. And he talks about forgiveness. Notice, please, verse 21 and 22. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Now, you know what Peter is doing in that passage? He is strutting his spirituality. In other words, he came to Christ and he said, Lord Jesus, the Jewish rabbi saith, all oh, forgive my brother three times. But I'm a good Christian. I'm not going to forgive him three times. I'm going to forgive him seven times. Aren't I a good Christian? And Jesus said, no, Peter. You're not a good Christian if you can forgive him seven times, but rather seventy times seven or an innumerable amount of times. Now that brings us to our text. I tell our students this. I'm not important. You're not important. But the cause of Christ is all important. And I want to speak to you tonight on this subject, protecting the cause of Christ. I want to break down verse 15 into three parts. First of all, there's a problem. A damaged relationship. Notice the first part of the verse. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. Now obviously this is talking about a brother to a brother. But the bottom line of the Bible is Romans 12 and verse 18. If it be possible as much as life in you live peaceably with all men. So you see, I'm not only to live at peace with my Christian brother or sister, but I'm to live at peace with my unsaved neighbor. So I will not be a stumbling block in trying to win him to Christ. But this is talking about a brother to a brother. It has two aspects to it. I'm going to give you two passages. I want you to see if you can tell the difference in these two passages. Take your Bible, please, and turn to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. We're talking about a problem, a damaged relationship. Mark eleven twenty five and 26. It says, And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive... Neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. All right, look this way. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have a friend or a loved one for whom you are praying to be saved? Would you raise your hand, please? You have a friend or a loved one for whom you're praying to be saved. All right, that's almost everybody. Here's my next question. Is there anybody on the face of God's earth with whom you're bitter? If there is, save you time. 
Don't pray. God's not going to hear your prayers. Somebody has said this, adultery has slain its thousands, but bitterness, its tens of thousands. I believe that with all my heart. Years ago, I was in a meeting near Dayton, Ohio. I was on my way to Lima, Ohio. Pastor picked me up at the airport at Dayton. On the way to Lima, he said, Brother Comfort, I had a man on my staff who was an Absalom. Let me say the worst disease a pastor can have is staph infection. And this preacher had it. He said, this fellow sowed discord among my people. And it split my church right down the middle. Before we got to Lima, he said, I had another man on my staff who was involved in child molestation. He said, tonight he's in prison for being involved in child molestation. I said, let me ask you a question for the sake of illustration. Which one of these men did more harm to your church? He said, no comparison. No comparison. He said, everybody knew that child molestation was wrong. That didn't hurt the unity of my church one bit. But he said, the man that sowed discord, he said, 12 years later, we're still paying for that. You know what that is, folks? Bible. Hebrews 12, 15, bitterness defiles many. You know what that means? Brother Bloom can't be bitter without affecting Central Baptist Church. I can't be bitter without affecting Ambassador Baptist College. Are you listening? You can't be bitter without affecting your family. Bitterness is a cancer that infects and affects everybody you get around. I preached every year one Sunday for Bobby Robertson before he went to heaven just recently. And the last time I was there, Bobby was in the hospital in his last days. And Frank Shoemate, uh, the assistant pastor, came to me Sunday night after the service. He said, look at our attendance board. There were 1,460. When I started preaching there, they were running 2,600. 1,460 now. He said, do you know that because of one man... We lost two to three hundred people at one time because of one man. I'll tell you folks, you can't be bitter without affecting everybody you get around. Now, is there anybody you can think of, if they came in that door and they made a seat beside of you, you'd want to change seats? Is there anybody you can think of, if you were going down the road and you saw them coming toward you, you'd want to cross the street and go by them on the other side? Folks, life is too short to go through it bitter. And I know some people that get up in the morning, they're bitter, they're bitter all day long, and they go to bed the same way. Here's a verse that every fundamental Baptist ought to memorize. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they that love thy law, and what? Nothing shall offend them. If I get offended at you, my problem's not you. My problem is I have an improper attitude toward this book and toward the cause of Christ. Somebody said, well, Brother Comfort, if you knew how they treated me, you'd know I have every right in the world to be bitter. Where do you read that in the Bible? 
Ephesians 4, 25 and 26, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now, folks, there is nothing you can do to Ron Comfort that is as bad as what Ron Comfort did to Jesus Christ for 15 years. And I don't have a right to be bitter about anything or anybody, and you don't either. You don't either. I was preaching in Raleigh, North Carolina. Former pastor came to me. He said, Brother Comfort, I used to pastor in Winston-Salem. And he said, my wife was despondent and bitter. So I had to leave the ministry. He said, we were called back to the church for a homecoming. He said, I preached and we had a wonderful time. And he said, when we went back to the motel, my wife was talking about how wonderful it was to be back there in the church they had pastored for several years. And her husband said, Honey, you know why I'm not in the ministry now? Because you've been bitter and despondent. He said, Why don't we get to the root of the problem? We've never talked about this. Why is it that you've been bitter and despondent? You know what she said? She said, When I was a little girl, my daddy did something to me that made me angry. It wasn't moral. She said, I was bitter at my daddy, and I've been bitter toward him all of his life. And he looked at her and he said, Honey, don't you realize your daddy's been in heaven for years now, and you've been bitter about a dead person? How foolish that is. He said, why don't we get down on our knees right now and you deal with that bitterness. He said, Brother Comfort, she got down on her knees and she wept and she cried and she prayed and my wife was transformed that night. Now folks, I'm talking to somebody right now. You haven't felt well in a long time and you've never realized it's bitterness that needs to be dealt with. So here in Mark 11, you have the guilty going to the innocent. If I'm bitter toward Pastor Bloom, I ought to go to him and get right with him. But God amplifies that one step farther. Take your Bible and turn, please, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Now, notice the difference, Mark 11. The guilty going to the innocent. Something different, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Notice, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, go thy way, first be reconciled thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. All right, look this way. Do you see the difference? Mark 11, the guilty ought to go the innocent, Matthew 5. The innocent ought to go the guilty. In other words, if I knew that you're bitter toward me and I don't feel that way about you, if I'm right with God, I ought to initiate the reconciliation. I ought to go to him and I ought to say, listen, I know how you feel about me and God knows I don't feel that way about you. But maybe I've done something to cause this barrier between us. Is there anything I can do to remove the barrier? and to protect the cause of Christ. 
So here's a rule I've tried to follow in 58 years in evangelism. I will never get up and preach knowing I'm bitter towards somebody, but what I will go to them and try to get right with them. On the other hand, I will not get up and preach knowing somebody is bitter toward me and I don't feel that way about them, but what I will take the first step and try to initiate the reconciliation. All right, a problem, a damaged relationship. Now go back, please, to Matthew 18 and verse 15, where number two, we see a procedure, a direct reminder. Notice, please, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, here it is, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Look this way. Do we do that? No. Here's what we do. If I have a problem with him, instead of going to him, I'll go to him. And I'll say, do you know what he did to me? Now, folks, that's wrong. That's wrong. He is not part of the problem, nor is he part of the solution. And when I go to somebody else that's not involved, I make the chasm greater. I make the situation almost irreconcilable. All right, now listen. When am I go to him? Immediately. If I wait a month... To go to him, everything he does is suspect to me. And I keep heaping reason upon reason why I should not go to him. So I'm to go to him, I'm to go to him immediately, and I'm to go to him alone. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you have tried to reconcile with somebody, but they would not listen to you? Raise your hand, please. Sure you have. Sure you have. All right, when you do what God says in Matthew 18, 15, and you go to that person, you've delivered your soul. The ball's in their court. They can do with it what they want to. But if God has put somebody on your mind and on your heart tonight, go to them this week. Go to them this week. You are not a candidate for personal revival until you're right with man and you're right with God. And the truth of the matter is, you cannot be right with God if you're not right with man. Now, let me confess to you, Pastor, this is a hard principle to follow. And there have been times in my own ministry when I have violated this principle, much to my embarrassment. I started Ambassador Baptist College in 1989. And after, uh, just a short time after that, I was down in the West Indies for a meeting. And I stayed in the home of a missionary couple that was under BIMI. And I saw something in that home that I thought eventually was going to hurt their testimony and ministry. But instead of going to them, I thought, now Don Sisk is ahead of BIMI, and when he comes to ambassador to preach, I'll share my apprehension with him. So I did. And I said, uh, Brother Sisk, I was just down the West Indies not long ago, and I saw something in this home that I think was going to hurt this missionary testimony, and they're under your board. He said, Brother Comfort, I'm going to be down there in just a few weeks. I'm going to be on that island. He said, when I am, I will look into it. So he did. When he came back to America, he called me up. He said, Brother Comfort, 
I approached the missionary couple about the apprehension that you had that something may hurt their ministry and testimony. He said, you know what the missionary said to me? Why didn't Brother Comfort come to me rather than go to you? I said, Don, he was right. I was wrong. I said, I violated a principle that I preach in my own ministry. I said, I've got to apologize to you. I said, now, when I hang up the phone, I'm calling down in the West Indies, and I'm apologizing to that missionary couple. So I did. This is about 1991. And their wife answered the phone. I said, ma'am, is your husband available? She said, no, sir. We had a hurricane come through the island. It damaged the church building. He's working on repairing the church building. I said, well, I really would like to talk to your husband, but since he's not available, I'll bear my heart with you. I said, I just got off the phone with Don Sisk. And he said he had approached you folks about the thing that I thought may hurt your ministry. And your husband said, why didn't Brother Comfort come to me rather than go to you? I said, ma'am, I want you to know that your husband was right. I was wrong. I violated a principle I preach in my own ministry. I said, and I apologize to Brother Sisk. I'm calling you and your husband to apologize to you. She said, I assure you, we will forgive you. I said, ma'am, I'm going to send a personal check for $500 to help repair the church building. Now listen carefully. Look at me, please. I believe that most of our divisions, Pastor, are caused from basic misunderstandings. You see, you see something from this perspective. The other person sees it from this perspective. And if we can just get together, we can clear up the misunderstanding. Pastors will tell you that the average person that leaves his church will never come to him and say, Pastor, this is why we're leaving. This is why we're leaving. I remember years ago I was preaching in Massillon, Ohio. And Brother Cummins, who started the church, pastored for years and years, who's now in heaven. I was preaching along this line, and Brother Cummins came to me and he said, Brother Comfort, God's been dealing with my heart for some time about getting right with a, a man who used to be a deacon in the church. He said, he and I were as close as brothers. And I would share things with him that I would not share with anybody else in the church except my wife. He said, years ago, something happened to break that relationship. He said, I don't know what it was, but God's been dealing with me. Would you go with me to see him? I said, preacher, I'd be glad to. I'm glad I did. This is classic, folks. So we went to this former deacon's house. He was uh, retired working on his car in his garage. And we had a friendly conversation, and all of a sudden the pastor turned the conversation he said, Brother, you and I used to be as close as brothers. And I would share things with you that I would not share with anybody else except my wife. He said, years ago, something happened to break that relationship. And I don't know what it was. Can you tell me what it was? He said, all right, preacher, you asked for it. He said, do you remember on Saturday before we left the church on Sunday... 
You officiated at the wedding of my daughter and her fiancé. He said, Preacher, you did something in that wedding that offended everybody in that wedding party and it offended my wife and me. And I made up my mind that I could never hear you preach again if you would do that. He said, Brother, would you like to know why I did what I did? He said, If you'll tell me. So the pastor went on to explain it so logically. Anybody could have understood it. When he got through, the former deacon stood there with his mouth open and he said, Preacher, I am so sorry. He said, I have been backslidden for 12 years because of a basic misunderstanding. All right, number one, we've noticed the problem, a damaged relationship. Number two, a procedure, a direct reminder, and in closing, number three, a product, a desired response. Notice the latter part of verse 15. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. And I think you could add the addendum and protected the cause of Christ. Now, do you know why a church like Central Baptist Church exercises church discipline? It's not to kick a person while he's down. It's not to exert our authority. Galatians 6.1 It's to restore the fallen brother. Now, I'm going to close and I want to summarize what I've been preaching. Take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 12, please. Boys, I hope you're not playing with your phone back there. I hope you're listening. All right, Romans chapter 12, please, verses 17 through 21. Notice, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I'll repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. All right, look this way. You know what we do in the Christian life? We play hit last. Have you ever played hit last with your brother or sister? You hit him, he hits you, you hit him, he hits you. What happens if in the middle of that game you say, Brother, I'm tired of this game. I'm black and blue. Let's go to McDonald's and I'll buy you a milkshake. All right, that ends the game. That ends the game. Here's what we do in the Christian life. Brother Bloom does something to Ron Comfort. You know what my flesh says? Andy Bloom's not going to get the last say. Ron Comfort's going to get the last say. But you know what his flesh says? Uh Uh-uh. Ron Comfort's not going to get the last say. I'm going to get the last say. And we play hit last. All right, what happens if in the middle of that game I say, instead of trying to get even with him, I'm going to do something kind for him. I'm going to buy him a Bible. All right, that ends the game. Here's the principle, folks. You do not return evil for evil. You return good for evil. I have in the front of my Bible four words, no attack, no defense. No attack, 
no defense. And God helped me to live by those four words. I started Ambassador Baptist College in 1989. For seven and a half years, we rented a facility, uh, $5,500 a month, uh, in another location. All during those years, we knew that wasn't our permanent location. So we were on the lookout for some land to build a, a campus or an existing campus that needed to be uh, re, re, renovated. So in 1994, we came upon Lattimore Campus. Now, folks, uh, we bought Lattimore Campus for $150,000. However, it took two and a half years, $1.8 million, to renovate it and get it ready to get into. Pastor, since we have been in Lattimore, we have had 23 building projects. I tell people before I started college, I was six feet three inches tall. Man, it wears you down. I'll tell you something else. I tell my wife the only thing appealing about being a Calvinist is that you'd never have to go into a building program. See, Calvinists are not builders, they're destroyers. But anyway, the people of Lattimore wanted to meet with me and ask me what we were about. So I met with them. In the old location, we had had two modular buildings built that we used as dormitories. And somebody said, Mr. Comfort, are you going to bring those modular buildings into the community? I said, wait a minute. We don't want them there any more than you do. But it's going to take time for God to supply the money to build dormitories. But I promise you that when we build our dormitories, we will remove these modular buildings. Well, there's a man in the community that's a town drunk. He's been adversarial ever since day one. And he always pointed to these modular buildings. He called them derisively trailers. And uh, yeah, now I'll tell you why he didn't like them. He had a bathtub in his backyard. And he would take a bath in his backyard. These modular buildings were facing his backyard. And girls lived in these modular buildings. I never will forget the first time I met him. I did not recognize him, but man, did he recognize me. He came to me. He didn't say, Mr. Comfort, how you doing? It's a nice day. No, he started cussing me out. He told me things about myself that I never knew. And he said, when are you going to get rid of those trailers? I said, wait a minute. We don't want them there any more than you do. But it's going to take time for God to supply the money to build the dormitories. And when we do, we will remove the modular buildings. I assure you of that. Well, we had built four dormitories. We presently have built five. And when we built the fourth one, I went to Alton Beale, who was my assistant. He's now the president. I said, Alton... When we finish our fourth dormitory, we're going to remove the modular buildings. And I'm going to write this man a letter. And I'm going to put in that letter a $50 gift card to Lowe's. And so I wrote him a letter. I said, Dear Mr. So-and-so, thank you for your patience in our having the modular buildings in the area. We didn't want them there any more than you did. But God supplied the money for us to build four dormitories. And because of your patience, I'm sending you a gift card to Lowe's. You know what he did? Alton took that to him. He read the letter. He held up the gift card. And he said, Mr. Beale, 
I don't deserve this. He said, I haven't been a good neighbor to you folks. All we were doing is just fulfilling Romans chapter 12. Now you do not return evil for evil. You return good for evil. I ask you, is there anybody that God has brought to your mind tonight that you need to get right with? It may be an email. It may be a phone call. It may be face to face. I was preaching for my good friend Ed Nelson the last week before he turned his last church over to a young man. And I was preaching in Sunday school along this line. And a lady after Sunday school left the building. Halfway through the morning service, she came back in. And she, after I got through preaching, she said, Brother Comfort, did you realize that I left church after Sunday school? I came in during half of the morning service. I said, yes, ma'am, I noticed that. She said, you know what I did? Because I was not a candidate for revival. She said, after Sunday school, I went to somebody. I got right with them. She said, now I'm a candidate for personal revival. How about you? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heads.